Welcome to the Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. This podcast exists to help every single couple to thrive in their marriage relationship. We want you to know you can thrive regardless of where you are right now, what you've been through in the past. You can thrive in marriage. Uh, We're talking today, my book, Marriage on the Rock, this is the first book that I ever wrote. And in this book, I talk about the four foundational laws of marriage. And I'll talk about a lot more than that. I talk about sex, in-laws, money, communication, all those kinds of things. But I talk about the four foundational laws of marriage. This is what saved our marriage. We've been married for 48 years. And several years into our marriage, we were on the brink of divorce until we learned about the four foundational laws of marriage. Now, in previous podcasts, we've talked about the two, the first two foundations. In this podcast today, we're talking about the third and fourth foundation, which is the law of possession and the law of purity. But before we go to that teaching, we have some questions from you guys. And Karen, I think you're going to read me a couple of questions. Yes. Uh, my husband doesn't include me in his business decisions. I feel like he's trying to keep this separate. Aren't we supposed to share everything? Yeah, you should. And I have a friend of mine who is extremely successful in business, and his wife, uh, when I say he was extremely successful, I mean his business was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, he, he had a huge business. And he didn't just have one business. He had several businesses. And he he patronized his wife. And she would keep saying to him, honey, I don't know. any If anything, if anything happened to you, I don't know anything going on. And he would say, well, it's just hard to explain. There's just a lot to it and stuff like that. So she, very nice couple, very, very godly couple. And so she she just kept up. And finally, he came to me one day and he said, what, what should I do? And I said, sit down with her and tell her that she's an equal and that she's a partner and, and listen to all of her uh, statements and give her patient explanations on everything. And you need to have a regular meeting with her where you tell her what's going on and let her ask questions. Mm-hmm. And um, so he came back to me a couple months later, and he said, you know something? He said, I just, he said, I was kind of offended when my wife said that to me. He said, but it has helped our relationship so much. We're so much closer. Now that I've sat down with her and began to include her in business decisions, he said, but the other thing is, she has a lot of wisdom. Mm -hmm. He said, I was surprised how much wisdom she has. So you, I think that uh, he needs to include you, and you might need to go get counseling. Mm -hmm. Uh, you might, but but the law of possession says they too shall become one, mm-hmm. and so I don't think it's reasonable if your husband's in business that he has to call you every time he buys a typewriter or something like. There's no typewriters anymore, computer, something like that. But I think it is reasonable that any significant decision that that affects your home, your relationship, that he should talk it through with you before he makes it. So you have another question. There? Yes. Do you agree that affairs of the heart are equal to sexual affairs? What is the next step for me after my husband's confession of emotional infidelity? I don't think they're equal in the sense that I think the actual physical act is worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it begins emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not always. Uh, some, some affairs are just purely sexual. But typically there is an emotional affair. And I think uh, your, it says your husband confessed emotional infidelity. Well, that's important. Before it got all the way, he did confess it. That's good. Rather than getting caught, um, I think that the next step is maybe to go get counseling. Why? Why would your husband go? And I'm not blaming this on this woman, but why would your husband be vulnerable? That's part of the question. Is he offended at you? Is he is he rejecting you? Is I mean, is, is something wrong with your relationship that he feels like he has to go outside and do that? And counseling would help uh, to find out. 
what what is it that caused this? And the second thing is just accountability, where your husband needs to be accountable. You know, he needs you need to be able to ask him questions and get honest answers on things like that. But I, I don't equate emotional adultery. Now Jesus said, if a man looks with intent at a woman, it's the same as adultery. Okay. In other words, this your heart is the most important thing. But I, the the relationship is salvageable. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I wouldn't at all consider divorce unless this is a serial thing that's happened over and over again like that. But that's, that's what I think about it. Hope that these are helpful to you. We're now going to go to the, the teaching on the third and fourth foundational law of marriage. If you're watching us on Apple or Spotify or YouTube, wherever you're watching us, please subscribe to our channel there and leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you. We're going to go to this teaching now on the foundational laws of marriage. Sometimes we get confused between God and church. The most important thing in my life is God, but that's my personal relationship with God. That's not church. The second most important thing in my life is my wife. The third is my children. The fourth is in church and extended family and work. It comes all the way down here. And like I said before, a lot of times the things that are threatening our relationship aren't bad things. They're good things out of priority. Children. Nothing is as important, God and a marriage, children. But some people say, they say, well, my, my children, you know, I, I live for my children. That's good. But listen, your children are a temporary assignment. They, they come and go. Listen, I remember when they get, put our kids in our hands, and I remember when we gave them away at their weddings. And they don't want you following around the rest of their life. They want to be in relationship. <laughs> but listen, when you give your, your marriage up for your children, how are your children going to succeed in marriage? if you don't show them how. And the number one thing they need to see is you prioritizing your marriage. I want to say something to blended families because I know probably half of you guys are blended families. A lot of people watching are blended families. In an intact nuclear family, you have a marriage and then children. It doesn't mean there aren't challenges there because there are, but you have a marriage and then you have children. In a blended family, you have children and a marriage. Families don't build around children. They build around a marriage. Marriage is the nucleus of that. And I want to say, if you're in a blended family, the number one issue in succeeding as a blended family is making your marriage first. And sometimes children are hurt. There might have been a previous marriage. There might be loyalty to a bi biological parent. And there may be animosity, even hostility, uh, toward the non-biological parent or whatever, which creates confused emotions and all of that. I want to say this one more time. If your children have been through a bad circumstance and they've seen a failed marriage, the best thing you can do for your children is show them how to succeed in marriage. And say to them, honey, I love you. There's nothing more important in, in my life than God and my husband, and I love you too. But my priority is the marriage. And we're gonna have a strong marriage and we're gonna be a united front. And as a united front and as a couple, we're going to parent you. And I'm going to talk more about this in just a minute about blended families. But the marriage comes first. I'll say this. There may be uh, misunderstanding, but the parents need to be the parents. There may be misunderstanding or difficulty or whatever. Your marriage has to come first. And in a blended family, it's not the exception. You have to put your marriage at the core of the relationship. And then the children relate around the marriage, not the other way. Otherwise, you become divided. The number one law of marriage is the law of priority. It only works in first place. Let me say this. It, it's a challenge, and, and uh, some of you may be violating that law, and, and your spouse is complaining. They feel jealous. 
and they're complaining about your work, they're complaining about the kids, they're complaining about this or that. Not bad things, just good things out of priority. What your spouse needs to hear from you in real terms is, I'll make any changes in my life I need to make. But except for Jesus Christ, you are the priority in my life. It's not a principle that's for a few. It's a law. It's the only way that marriage works. Number two, law of marriage is the law of pursuit. A man shall cleave to his wife. Marriage is work. Is you have to work at it. It's some, you know, some people, a lot of people have misconceptions about marriage. When it says a man shall cleave unto his wife, the word cleave there means to pursue with all energy. It means to cling on to. It's an energetic word. And so from the very beginning, God told us marriage is work. You have to work at it. You know, when you, when you fall in love, you work at the relationship. When I was 16 years old, I asked Karen out. We were 16 years old. Uh, we went to elementary and junior high school together, but we didn't know each other. In high school, we started dating when I invited her to a Three Dog Night concert. And uh, 1969 or so, I had a 1969 Dynamic 88 Oldsmobile that my mother wrecked and gave to me. She, she did that with all my brothers. She wrecked a car and gave us the car that she wrecked and got herself a new one. And I worked a scrub-a-dub car wash when I asked Karen out and I had hair down to here and you know, I was kind of a hood and everything. So I, I asked her out, but when I asked her out, I remember that I just knocked myself out before I picked her up. I washed my car that day and I pulled up, I always pulled up on the good side of the car. When I put, it was months before she knew my car was wrecked because I always pulled up on the good side of the car. And I just knocked myself out to be mannerly. You know, those were the days that you drove well. And, uh, you know, I drive just real carefully. If we hit a little bump, I say, are you okay? You know, five minutes later, we hit a bar ditch. I say, toughen up, stop griping. You know, and it's just the way that it is back then. And so I would just work, work, work. But as soon as I knew that I had her, I began to take her for granted. And that's human nature. We work until we get something secured, then we take it for granted. Well, that's why marriage doesn't work. For the rest of your life. Well, again, we've been married 39 years. It's been 42 years since we started dating. Today, we work at our marriage, and our marriage is great as long as we work at it. it it's, never, it's never different than that. It, no one is the exception to this, but a lot of people have misconceptions related uh, to marriage, and we have to get these misconceptions out of our mind. The first is, if I marry the right person, the emotions will happen naturally and effortlessly throughout our marriage. If I marry the right person, the emotions will just always be there. Every morning I'm gonna wake up and look at you and just go, hallelujah. Oh. <laughs> it's happening again. <laughs> no, you're gonna well, open your eyes and smell her breath and you know, <laughs> see them in the harsh morning light. And There's no such thing. Now listen to why this is so important. Because there are a lot of people that believe there's something wrong if I have to work at it. If I married my soulmate, and this is the word that's being used a lot today, soulmate. I'm looking for my soulmate. Let me tell you something about your soulmate. A, they're really messed up. Okay, if you think your soulmate is this person that you see and you just go, oh, like that. Well, you may fall in love with them, but they're still messed up. Let me tell you another thing about soulmates. They're not born, they're made. The best marriages are not two perfect people who get together in chemistry strikes and they live happily ever after. The best marriages are two very different people who have a lot of incompatibility that roll up their sleeves and go through lots of trouble together, but they stay together and work it out and they come out as best friends. That's how marriage works. 
The best marriages are people who have high goals and a high work ethic. The worst marriages are people who have high goals and not a good work ethic. That's proven in research. And so if I marry the right person, the emotions will be there. No, they won't. It'll be there to the degree that you work at it. And even if you work at it, there'll be times the emotions just aren't there. The second is, if my emotions change toward my spouse, I must have married the wrong person. No. Again, emotions come and go. I can't predict my emotions, but the best love in the world is love by choice. It's called agape love. It's God's type of love. I don't know what my emotions are gonna do tomorrow, but I'm always in control of my will. When I say I love Karen Evans, what I'm saying is this, regardless of how I feel or what she does, I've made a decision. I will always be faithful to her and do my best to love her as Jesus would. That's what I'm saying. I've made a decision. I can't depend on emotions. The most beautiful people in the world, the most talented people in the world, you notice they fall in love, they divorce. They fall in love, they divorce. Why? Because they think if my feelings change, I've got to change spouses. There's something wrong with this. No, if your feelings change, you just work. There's the grass is greener syndrome, you know. It's uh, when the grass looks greener on the other side. That's what the devil wants to do, whether it's someone across the street or somebody at work or someone real or imagined. You know, the grass always looks greener on the other side. There's two sayings that I like. One is, when the grass looks greener on the other side, it's time to water your own yard. (laughs) And here's another good one. When the grass looks, the reason the grass looks greener on the other side is because you can't see the poop from here. (laughs) Is, everybody looks good from a distance, you know? But live with them for a while. And then you'll see that it's not as good as you thought it was. Everybody looks good from a distance, but when you have to live with that individual, then you see all their issues up front. Let me say, that's when you know, my best friends are not the people who love me in the good times. My best friends are the people who know all the dirt and still love me anyway, right? Right? And those are the kind of friends you want. Karen and I have been together for a long time. I think we've seen everything, but maybe we haven't. But I can tell you this, we're still together. And that's what love is. It's not the emotion. And we believe that we married the wrong person, but we stuck it out and we know that God put us together. Number three, misconception of love and romance. Positive events, experiences, and actions should fuel the relationships and our emotions long-term. In other words, if we take a trip to Hawaii or if we have a big Valentine's weekend or whatever, that's gonna last for a long time. And uh, that's not true. Marriage operates on the manna principle. The children of Israel woke up every morning when they were in the wilderness, and for 40 years, every day manna was there, and God said, you can't accumulate it. You you can only pick up one day's worth, except before the Sabbath, you can pick up two days' worth. He said, but you have to pick it up every day. First thing they did is the Israelites went out and took all they could and put it in their tents. And what happened is says it bred worms and stank. They were trying to accumulate it, and God says, no, I want you to learn to relate to me every day and trust me every day. A relationship with Jesus is an everyday thing, not an every month thing or an every year thing. Love is a perishable commodity. Yesterday's love is worthless. It has to be renewed every single day. It doesn't matter what your emotions were a year ago. I'm telling you, I've been a Christian for 40 years, and I'm gonna tell you right now, if I go three or four days without praying and reading the Bible, it changes. I mean, God doesn't change, but it changes me. I've got to have a daily relationship with God. The love and the passion that I have for God, it has to be something that's expressed daily, not monthly, not annually. Same is true with Karen. Marriage is a daily thing that we, that we need to love each other every day. Now, this men, men are the worst. Women kind of get that. 
But men are the worst related to this because men think in terms of points. You know, how many points do I have in the bank? And how can I'm in trouble, so how can I accumulate some big points in a hurry to get out of trouble? And uh, men and points. So here, here are how men kind of think about points. Here are the big points for men. Date, that's, that's good points. Flowers, always a winner. Card, jewelry, jewelry's big, 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 big. Housework, trip, giving up a sporting event, taking care of the kids, going shopping with her. The ultimate now is going to a girl movie where there's no killing. And that's the ultimate, like that. You know you're in love when you're willing to do that. I went to see The Horse Whisperer with Karen and I just thought I was gonna die. I really did. I is, but the, uh, some men say that points, point system, yeah, great. Okay, Here, here's the way it works. So you take her on a trip, you know, you do something big for her, and you're thinking, man, that was big, that cost a lot of money, that's gonna last for a long time. All points evaporate at midnight every night. <laughs> Jewelry lasts maybe two to three days. And uh, it's, it's, that's the biggest of all. And you're, you're just thinking, man, I am Don Juan. I have, you know, I took her out on this big date. I did this and this and this, and boy, do I have some big points. And so you wake up the next morning, she's just kind of hanging over your bed. <laughs> you're saying, hey, good morning. Hello. <laughs> well, honey, good morning. I mean, what about our trip to Hawaii? <laughs> what? <laughs> get up, get up. You're just thinking, my gosh, I did all that yesterday. That was yesterday. What are you gonna do today? It's an everyday, they don't accumulate. I'm just telling you right now, marriage is an everyday deal. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. What are you gonna do today? Every single day. And again, we have the tendency to want to accumulate points so that we can you know, ride those for two or three months while we're out checked out doing something else. Marriage is an everyday thing. And here's another misconception. When we have no emotions or have fallen out of love, there is no way to get the love back. That's all there is. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.